Welcome to the Speed Data Podcast. Join Sarah Payne, our events manager, on our chemistry crusade as we aim to demystify dating, romance, relationships, and everything in between. Hello, and welcome back to the Speed Data Podcast. Today, I have Alex Mello Books with us. He's co-founder at Select Personal Introductions, a high-end matchmaking and dating service for professionals, celebrities, entrepreneurs, offering regional, UK and global services. He has 25 years of experience and expertise in navigating the world of matchmaking, dating and relationships to help singles and coaches establish healthy relationships. Welcome, Alex. Hi. You Okay. How are you? Good. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, very good. Sun's coming out, so everybody's happy. They're smiling, which is absolutely fantastic. I know it makes a change. We've had a rough winter this year, haven't we? Yeah, it's been very, very, very changeable, hasn't it? With uh, with everything that's you think you're getting there, and then the snow comes, and yeah, so absolutely. So, if you want to just tell, I know I've introduced you. If you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, so um, as you've already said, I have worked in the industry for about 25 years. Uh, I set up an agency with my wife called Slack Personal Introductions. We're based in Manchester in the UK, Um, but we we cover the whole of the country and we have clients globally as well. Um, I'm also a certified matchmaker. I am a relationship uh, expert with regards to dating singles and couples. So I've got experience there, which really does come in useful when you're matchmaking as well. Because again, sometimes as people approach you as a matchmaker, sometimes you need to get them to take a step back before they go into matchmaking or start dating, just so they can kind of reconfigure themselves. Um, So yeah, I'm also vice chair for the trade body for the offline industry, the Association of British Introduction Agencies. So that was set up in 1981 by the government. Uh, set up at the oh, wow. trading, yeah. So any agency that's offline, they can apply. Obviously, they have to go through checks. And there's a code of practice that we ask them to adhere to, um, and they just keep. What it does, it means that everybody's hitting a good standard. So yeah. anybody approaches these agencies, anybody that's registered, um, you you know there's a standard there. And obviously, if there are issues that somebody has with an agency, they can come back to the ABIA and, and talk to somebody there and uh, help to get that back on track for them. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So you, you have so much experience. This is why I wanted to talk to you today, because um, obviously over the over the years, you've, you must have seen dating change. I mean, you know, the apps, I think, came in 10 years ago now and completely sort of turned the dating industry on its head, really, didn't it? Because yeah. there's just so many new ways to meet now. Yeah. Um, I mean, we started when Match.com had just started. Wow. So, you know, that's when online was, was just starting to kind of walk, you know, done the crawling and started to walk. Um, and then the apps came along and just kind of curveballed them a little bit to the, the, the sites. People weren't going to the websites. They started to use phones a little bit more. And, of course, apps were wonderful. You could use an app wherever you went, literally wherever you went. So, As a matchmaker, what do you think of the apps? The apps, the apps are great in the sense of what they are built for. It's what the end is, how the end user uses it, and that's that's where things have changed. I, th- I think we've seen online, we've seen the apps, and we've seen how people initially start using them. 
and how they use it today. I always talk about this with with people, new clients, and especially if they've struggled with apps. I think if you think about it, if we go back historically, everything was set out for us. You know, there were guidelines. Everybody lived in towns or cities. You lived in a community. You went to work probably in similar places. So you had your, your group of work friends. You had the same social group. There were church. There's more, going, more people going to church. And so you, had, you were introduced to people. That's what you did. You stayed within your community. We didn't travel as much. And now, of course, decades on, we are literally all over the place. You know, I think the pandemic had a massive influence on, on, on how we work again in the sense of you literally could work from anywhere in the world right now and it wouldn't make a difference. Whereas before the pandemic, it did make a bit of a difference. Absolutely. I mean, I think the apps are, if they're used correctly, I think they can be a powerful tool because like you said, you can be traveling anywhere from the world in the world and you can get your phone out and you can meet people. Whereas before you wouldn't have been able to do that. You would have had to go to a certain place to meet people, to introduce yourself. You know, whereas now you, you know, you could probably be in a remote little town in the middle of nowhere and still meet people because of, of the power of the apps. Um, I think what you have to remember with apps is it's a tool. That's yeah. all it is. That dating now is so diverse and you have to remember that. So you're going to have a big mixture of people on there. You have to remember some people don't want, you know, if you're coming to a matchmaker, that's because the first thing I will ask is, what do you want? What's your end goal? If it's a relationship, perfect. If it's not a relationship, if you just want a date, do not join a matchmaker. Yeah, you know? I think definitely. I think definitely, with when you're looking for a matchmaker, you sort of have probably exhausted all your options of of trying to ways to date, haven't you? You know, if you're serious about settling down and you want to meet the right person, and you're not finding it through other methods, then I definitely think if you're looking for something specific, then your only route really is a matchmaker um that's the thought process that people use i would probably argue that and say okay if you're seriously looking for a relationship if you've got the time and energy to put into the apps great but i know a lot of a lot of clients that use matchmakers you're going to have to pay a certain amount a certain amount of money yeah and those kind of clients do not have the time or energy the other thing is they can't, they can't put themselves on apps because of the, the calibre of their job or their status. So they, they can't do that. So with apps, you have to remember, you've got people who just want to date. You've got people who want to hook up. Yeah. You've got people who want relationships. You've got people who... They, they, there are some people who don't like... A relationship is about being vulnerable. You have to you kind of have to drop your guard at a certain point to yeah. see if that relationship works. That's part and parcel of it. Some people, maybe because of past history or their attachment style, they can't deal with that vulnerability side. So what they will do is they will stay on the app, they will communicate with you. But as soon as you try to bring them into the real world, they'll disappear. Yeah. Because that's not their thought process. That's not their end goal. Their end goal is to communicate with you, which is great. If you want a pen pal, a digital pen pal, fantastic. But it's not going to go anywhere. There are some people who, who are on there for the self-gratification. They'll do that with Instagram. They'll do that with TikTok. They want people to notice them. They want people to comment on them. But they don't want to bring it into the real world. Yeah. And then you've got 
if you think about it again, looking at social media has had a big impact on dating apps. And what social media does is it tries to draw you back to social media. It doesn't want you to leave. It wants you to interact. It wants that, you to be in that world. And that can be the same process with apps in the sense that they want to draw you back. They want, so you almost have a situation where, I mean, we, you can talk about this in the sense of when, when people have got relationships, you get to a certain point and say, right, now we have to delete the apps. Because what happens? You've got your phone with you. You carry it all over the place. Ding, 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 ding. Notifications coming through. Yeah. Somebody else. Somebody else as much. And it draws you away. And you're distracted. And you need to get rid of that distraction. So it's great if you've got time and energy, go in there. But I think, I think if you are seriously looking for a relationship, if you want to almost spend your time doing that, that's absolutely fine. But a matchmaker, I wouldn't leave it till the last resort. I, if you're serious. Yeah. Get in there and have a look. The other thing, as a coach, I would say, what are you doing? You know, in the sense of, yes, you have the apps. I mean, speed dating is another great way to meet people. 100%. It's a great, it's a great way. I mean, I, I always talk about this in the sense of pandemics just been socially, we're absolutely flummoxed. We just haven't got a clue at the moment. And again, if people are working from home, our social skills are absolutely pants. I, so, I've noticed this, that after the pandemic especially, people seem to be struggling with their social skills more so now. Yeah, yeah. So something like speed dating is fantastic. It gets you out there, it gets you sat in front of somebody, it gets you conversing. And as a coach, I would say, if you dare take a list with you to a speed dating event, <laughs> I'll slap your legs because no, it's not about that. It's about just enjoying that moment talking to them, getting to know them, forget the list of questions that you've got. It also helps you decide, I think, what you want from a partner as well, because you're meeting so many different people. You know, if you sit with this regimented box of what you want and you stick to that, nine times out of 10, those those people fail and those relationships fail because you, you choose what you think you need and you want. So you just continue to look, you know, let's put it as an example, as you want to date a doctor and you keep dating doctors and you keep dating doctors and it's not working out, but that's what you want. You know, you want someone in a, in a certain type of job, just as an example, but then you go out and you start meeting plumbers and bankers and, you know, florists and all these different people that you think, ah, this is actually an amazing connection. And I think speed dating opens the opportunity to that because you're meeting people outside of your comfort zone. You're meeting people from different walks of life that you probably wouldn't meet in your everyday life or, you know, and I think it's really important to, to be, to stay open-minded when you're dating. Cause I think the people with the list struggle the most because they have such a set criteria of what they're looking for. They're going to be continue, continuously disappointed. But as a coach, I can tell you right now, if I take that list and get them to write it down, it's completely wrong. Yeah. They've got, they're using the wrong gauge. And that sometimes comes back to how we used to date decades and decades ago in the sense of it used to be about status. It used to be about um, families and, and connecting families and making sure that follows through. Back in the days of courting. Absolutely. Yeah, Bridgeton, you know. I think that. I was meant to be born in that generation. <laughs> I, I'm the number one struggler of modern, modern dating. Um, even though I'm in the industry myself, I'm very much an old school romantic. Um, I think, I think the apps have made dating quite disposable. And I think that it, it actually 
triggered some, something in me earlier when you were talking about back in the days when people dated within their communities and, you know, for example, through the church or through their local town or through friends and they were introduced to people and they had accountability. So people treated people well, even if it didn't work out because there was accountability there. It was a friend of a friend or, you know, whereas the apps, it's like this whole generation of ghosting, this whole generation of not explaining what you mean anymore. And I think that, you know, I definitely think that it is the modern ways of dating, but I think that the apps have given people the tools in order to be able to do that. You know, just say, just just ignore someone or move on to the next. Like you say, oh, notification. Well, they look more interesting. Let me pursue them now. Let me pursue them. Oh, they look nice. So I think that, you know, as it is such a great tool, it can also be detrimental as well. Yeah. And you have to bring in social media at that stage because that has a massive impact, yeah. uh, influence on dating. Because what you have is you have platforms with perfect images, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Facebook, whether it's TikTok, there's there's always or Snapchat. There's there's always that perfect image, and it's a swipe. It's that. I mean, over lockdown, we saw this gamifying of dating. You know, on the apps. Yeah. But I literally spoke to a young man yesterday who was saying him and his friends are talking, obviously giving complete completely the wrong advice to each other saying you have to swipe so many times to get a date or two and it literally is it's i mean they did they did some research on this a couple of universities in the uk and they were finding that guys swiped more than ladies do there's a process that we kind of use and guys literally just swiped at anything just to try and get a date yeah, I think I think I might be wrong and you can correct me in this, but I think in all walks of life, women are generally more selective than men when it comes to dating. I think women are always looking. I think as well, I think this is because women have a biological clock on their hands as as a, you know, negative that women are more or nine times out of 10 looking more so for a life partner in the in the end game of dating, whereas men tend to just date because they can and they don't really have a clock on their side. Um, so I think that women, what what I find that are, are more selective in in choosing their potential partner than men are sometimes. Yeah, for guys, it's it's very much visual. I mean, again, this guy was saying yesterday, uh, oh, it's very visual for females. I said, no, actually, it's for guys. It's guys who are visual. Ladies are visual, but there has to be more to it. And and that's why, if I have a client, I always say, don't go for the obvious choice. Don't go for that alpha male that stands out beating his chest and thinking, oh, because what you're going to find is either they're going to be narcissistic mm -hmm. or they're not going to have any substance to them. Yeah. So that's why going back to what you were saying, dating outside your comfort zone is an ideal thing to do because what you're missing is you're missing those, those people that actually have something about them that is relevant to you. And again, that goes back then to the list that you take before you start dating. And sometimes I recommend people to go and actually go and spit, sit with a coach. Yeah. Go sit with a coach. Get your plan together. Because what it does, it helps you identify. It's like walking into a shop or supermarket without a shopping list. Yeah. You know? And you end oh, well, up with all I'll... sorts of stuff you don't need. <laughs> and you can't cook it. It goes off and you try it out. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's about looking at your plan. Start with a plan. What are the most important things? And, th and this is, I mean... Ladies are more, uh, yes, they look more at what a guy has to offer and, and they have to look behind. But again, that's about getting that list. So when you 
when you look at a guy on an app, they will literally look at the photo. They might look at a second photo, but they'll swipe. Whereas a female will go in, look at a photograph, then they are more likely then to look at the profile, mm-hmm. read a bit in the profile, see if there's any spelling mistakes, <laughs> if there's a copy and pasting going on, and then they'll go and look at some more photos before swiping. Yeah. And that's normally the format difference between how those two sexes use the apps. So I've seen on social media this week, last two weeks actually, of this new creation. I'm not sure if you've you've read about it yet. There's a social experiment called Pear. Have you heard about it yet? No, no, okay. no. Okay. So I'm obviously always keeping up with the latest dating trends and and what goes on. And basically this company called Pear have created a like blue rubber banded ring that you wear in public to let people know you're single, which I think is extremely clever because it's almost like a way to let, you know, you can be out in a bar in the evening and you can spot the ring. So it's it's actually a social experiment that they're doing. I'm assuming that there'll be results from it. Um, But what do you think about it? It's great, but it's, it's like anything, isn't it? It's like, the, the the online sites, the apps are great. It's how the end user uses it. So if there's a married guy who wants to get a date, what's stopping him from going and buying a ring, popping it on and going into a bar? Absolutely. And that's, and that's, and that's the downside. But that goes then goes back to somebody turning around and saying, like you were saying, somebody is responsible. So if you meet that person and you go on a date them, date with them, how they let them down, there is responsibility because they know family. Yeah. So it comes down to that. So it's a great idea, but it's how it's going to be used by the user and the people who, because what you have to remember is those people, those, I'm, go, I'm going to say guys, because it's going to be majority guys. The guys who want to hook up are going to do and say anything they want to do, what you want, what you want them to hear so they get to their end result. I have seen it. Yeah, I've seen yeah. it work, and I just because I, I people watch. That's what I naturally do, and I can just hear it. I'm like, oh my god! And it's almost like I want to get this piece of paper warning, run away. You know, I <laughs> I was actually know. surprised how many people that were in relationships or even married used the dating apps. Yeah, yeah. and I, I mean, they must get caught. I've I've had it recently that I've seen somebody that's not single on there, and I just think, leave it for the single people. <laughs> You know, like it's, I just, I mean, obviously it's horrendously disrespectful as well that you're putting yourself out there to the world. But I just think it's, um, you know, like with anything though, it's the same as, you know, this experiment, who's going to prove that you're single? Do you have to submit a, you know, proof that you're single in order to get one of yeah. these wings? And, and that would help if if there is kind of some... Betting um, process. Kind of, um, because that, that's that's kind of what you need in a sense. Um, so yeah, it's it's a hard, great idea. You know what? You, it's like walking around with a t-shirt. I'm seeing it's like some people who do these billboards. I'm single. I'm looking yeah. for a match. You know? <laughs> um, it's about identifying who's single, who isn't, and who's serious. Absolutely. Then you also have to think about what are they bringing with them. You know, some people turn around and say, "I'm ready to date," and actually, when you dig a little bit deeper, you realise, you know what? You're actually bringing some of your past relationships and struggles that you've had in past relationships it with you. the next person. 
going to enter your next relationship. I, I always say that you need a grieving period after you come out of a relationship to find yourself again and what you want. And I often see people that jump from relationship to relationship because they don't know how to be alone. And I think it's so important to have that grieving period to make sure that you're you know, letting go of all the past trauma that you've experienced, even if it's been a good relationship, you know, even healthy relationships, when you come out of it, you're learning to reset yourself back to your routine, finding yourself and then order to move on to the next person. I think that's really, really important. And and I know for sure enough people don't do it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I always talk about this in in the sense some people forget we change. We change every seven to 10 years, we evolve, you know, and those relationships will have an impact on, on how we think and how we approach relationships. And also you have to look at it from a point of view that if you've had a relationship with somebody and you've come out of that relationship, how did it go? What was it that didn't work? Was it just you were too different? Was it that you didn't communicate properly? And that, I'm not talking about talking, I'm talking about talking and listening. Yeah. And what have you learned from that? What have you learned about yourself? Sometimes you can improve on that, you know. Sometimes your tolerance level is quite low, and it's about changing that perception. A lot of people think relationships are really easy. They're not. They're so hard. You've got to work at it all the time. Yeah, hundred you know, percent. Um, it's the same as any relationship that you have in your life. They don't work. And, and I think sometimes it's really hard if you've been, say, you have been married or in a relationship for a long time. When you come out of that, you are a completely different person. Um, if, if I look at some of my female clients that I work with coaching, if they're if they're mum, I know they've got about ten other roles that they have with yeah. them, and suddenly those roles change because, of course, she has to adapt to to the to her life. But also, who 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 was she when she started dating and then maybe got married and had the family? But to who is she now? Yeah, you know, guys. Yeah, I think guys, we're getting we're getting more involved. Um, some guys are really hands on. They will take those roles on in family, and again, they will suffer with that. Some guys don't. Um, but it's, it is interesting. It's it's about looking at who you were, who you are now, and what your needs are now as well. 100%. You know, when we when we look at our ages, you know, when we look at our ages in the sense of generations twenty five to thirty, you want very different things. You want to find somebody to get married. And probably maybe have a family, you know, maybe, maybe not get married, maybe just have that partnership. And I think as well, you know, I mean, you've been in the industry for 25 years now, so you'll be able to answer this, I think, spot on. But the world is changing. And 25 years ago, women probably didn't go to work. Women stayed at home. So dating was very different because you were most likely looking for a marriage to settle down for the woman to stay at home and raise the kids. Whereas now we've flipped that generation and we're paving a new way of, you know, powerful women going to work now and the men staying at home or, you know, there's so many different ways of dating. So I think everyone's now trying to learn that new way of dating and and understand that, you know, it's not always, there's so many different types of relationships you can have now. It's not just, you know, looking for necessarily marriage and kids. There's loads of different ways that people live their lives now. And I think that the world's trying to catch up with it sometimes. Yeah, and, and again, some people will make that decision of actually my career is more important to me than yep. family, and that's, and that's their life, and that's their decision, and that's their that's their goal, and that's you know you need to find somebody that will fit in with that. But also, I think what what's making it harder is as as ladies do achieve a lot more. 
again, going back to coaching, sometimes you can't use yourself as a gauge to find a partner. Yeah. So if you, you're very, very successful in what you do, great. The guy might not be as successful as and you. And that's okay. You know, and that's okay. There are some guys who will run away. And actually, sometimes what you find is the guy who, who, who are high achievers, they're the ones who handle that the worst because it's, they're very competitive. <laughs> you know, I, I literally spoke to a lady. She was divorced because she'd been promoted twice in one year. And her husband couldn't handle wow. it. And he just, yeah. he just left it high and dry, you know, where you, you need to, and this is, again, this is why you, you have to look at what are you using as a gauge to find a future partner? Well, look at the, the important stuff. He needs to support you. Whatever you do, you know, if you get promoted to a CEO, whatever, great. If he's the one who stays at home, looks after the kids, great. It's about respecting each other for what they do, for what they bring to that partnership is really, What really do you important. think makes a successful match between two people? It, it, can, it literally will come down to how each of them think. I mean, I can, I can get perfect people sat in front of each other, but if their th thought process isn't aligned, they miss each yeah. other. Yeah, Does that 100%. make sense? What and it'll be something absolutely crackers. They might even not. They might even meet. Not meet them. Oh well, they ski. I don't. Well, I, I think. Um, I think know? the thing is, is people think that perfect matches are. We both love to play tennis. We both like to take long walks in the countryside. We both like to eat lasagna. We both like to watch horrors. That's not what makes a yeah. successful match. And I think that sometimes they look for people like compatibility in the wrong ways you know opposite to track well, is a good thing but you know you have to keep your own hobbies you have to keep your own interests you know it's great to have things in common but it, it comes down to your values aligning and your you know morals and what you how you treat other people that's a huge one yeah. and, and that is what comes out of when you go out and you date yeah. because you see it that's why those people who say, oh, I'll, I don't know whether I want to go. No, you need to go out. You need to get in front of people in, in society to see how that how the person interacts with them. You know, how do they treat that person, whether it's the waiter or the barrister, barista, sorry, or, or whatever, yeah. you know. And then you start to, as that progresses, that, that relationship progresses, you start to introduce friends and family. And it is about how you treat each other. Absolutely. It is about those core, those core beliefs that drive that relationship forward but again it goes back to what markers are you using and sometimes people just go oh it's a label i will use that yeah and that's why yeah. you're using the labels of same sport or setting this no that is not what's going to see you through the tough times you know that you you're gonna you're gonna life is gonna throw things at you that you have no control over and it's how you deal with it with the other person 100 how you communicate with the other person because sometimes it may be something that you can't deal with, but your partner can. And it's about talking about it and, and helping them and supporting them get through that and then vice versa. And it, it's just a natural way of, of how that relationship will work. And there'll be peaks and blows. And again, when the pandemic came along, 
it's amazing how many couples. Yeah, split I was going. This because, was going to be my next thing to you about couples and how many split in the pandemic because they're not used to spending yeah, that much just, time together. Well, if you, if you think about, it, I call it I call it a retirement stage. The pandemic was retirement yeah. stage. You know, we talk about generations. We just talk about the twenties, thirties, what they're looking for. People in the forties, fifties, they might have come out of a long term relationship. When you get to 50, 60, you're looking at this, your spouse going, do I, you know, we're not, we haven't got the distraction of kids. We haven't got the distraction of going out to work. This is about 24 seven in this house or interactions or hobbies. And I'm going to spend that time with you. And that's why going back to what you're saying, you're absolutely right. You do have to keep your own interests because what you do is then you bring that conversation into yeah. the relationship. That's what is interesting. If you don't have that, you have nothing to talk about. And then that's when you get on, you hit cruise control. You kind of hit that, that kind of rut and there isn't. And again, it's, you know, if you're, if you're, if you've got two individuals, that's where you will see a little bit of discord because you will have differences. You'll have a difference of opinion. So this, this perfection of, oh, there's no kind of arguments or, or disagreements. It's a, it's a facade. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I was raised by two parents um, that, I mean, they've been married for 40 years now. Uh, I don't think I ever heard my mom and dad argue. They both went out. Mom was a working mom and my dad actually raised me for most of my younger years. Like I started school. My dad was a civil engineer, so he worked from home. And I don't think I ever heard them fight. They were just like best friends. Grew up, we grew up in such a, you know, living household. And I sort of remember my mom saying when they retired, you know, this, I think we'll get on, you know, spending all this time together now. Um, and they actually bought a boat and went sailing around Europe and they live abroad in the winters now. Um, and they're still like happier than ever, best friends. And, you know, that's sort of my, my level of like what I aspire to, you know, that, that sort of like... <laughs> You know, even now, I mean, I think my dad drives my mom crazy a little bit, but she, you know, I've never heard them fight. They're just, they get on so well. They're such good role models to me. And I think, you know, I was definitely born in a generation where things were built to last. And I think very much now your upbringing and your childhood, I think has an effect as well on what you look for in a person. You know, some people that are raised by single mothers or single fathers or, you know, it, I think it does affect us and it doesn't hit us till adulthood and we're looking for that person. I think the trauma then comes out of of your of how you were raised, I think. I think that has a huge impact that nobody really speaks about or identifies. And, and what that is, it's what we call attachment style. Because what you, how you connect with your first carer in your life or your caregiver affects how you, uh, your future relationships. Yeah. That has a massive, massive influence on it. And sometimes that's why you need to address it. So there are some people who, yeah, they don't come from a, a great family background and it's about survival. So as a child, that works beautifully. But then if they bring that with them into relationships, grown up relationships, it's actually quite toxic. And it's about addressing that and, and, and de and de-rigging that almost thing, you don't need to bring that with you now. You don't need that survival instinct in a yeah. relationship. Had when you were as a child, it's very different. What you have is you have a situation where 
you, you're your mum and dad are in a very small percentage yeah. of couples to have a relationship with that like that. So what you have to do is you have to make sure that your bar isn't set that high. Yeah. Because people are, I can promise you now, guys, guys will fail. So it's about allowing them to be themselves and just see how that relationship flows and how you cope with each other, because it is hard. I mean, that's, that is wonderful that that has happened. And there will be people out there going, I relate to that, but there will be other people that don't relate to it. And there will be people who are married for 50 years and they will have had arguments, but they've still, it, it, it goes back to that communication thing we were talking about, being able to, yes, they will have that little bit of friction, but they'll then be able to talk about it, sit down, take the time, maybe give themselves five, 10 minutes out, come back, talk, and make sure the other person's yeah. heard. You know, it's that old saying, oh, if I haven't told them once, I've told them a hundred times. I, I think that's well, probably me um, in terms of like, that's probably affected my communication skills and relationship because I hate confrontation. You know, if someone shouts at me, that's like my biggest pet hate ever. You know, I just, I just like, oh, you know, I'm such a calm communicator and I think it's detrimental to me sometimes because I don't voice my needs and wants probably as much as I should. You see, you might be a little, I'm a little bit like that, a, bit, a little bit of a chameleon. So you're kind of a people, almost a people yeah. pleaser. So you will adapt to fit in with the other person, but you have to remember yeah. who you are. I mean, I'm really, it's interesting with me. I'm, a, I'm an interesting case because I'm very strong-minded in my career. You know, I've bought my own flat, successful in terms of communicating my needs in other aspects of my life. And then I get in a relationship and I just turn into a chameleon because <laughs> I'm just, you know, it's just one, um, it's just one area in my life that I'm just not confident in, I think. And you are the perfect example of why I tell everybody to try and get two to three dates in before you make a decision yeah. about somebody. Because I promise you now, based on my 25 years experience, ladies are very different at work normally to how they are at home. And I know some of these, oh, it's me, it's me. But even those people who are great at talking to people, conversing, it's what I call yeah. the networker. Sometimes they will become that person who will please the client or whatever yeah. to keep it calm. That's how they operate. That's how they work. But it isn't actually who they are in the relationship. And it's about giving that person a chance to see who you are as well. And it will never happen in the first second day because you're going to be nervous. So you, you revert back to something that you feel comfortable. It's a default. It's yeah. a safety mechanism. So if you're really efficient at work, it should, it should be a little bit more fun. Don't be hard on yourself. And if, if, you're, if you're getting fatigued... Take a sabbatical. Just take a little bit. I love a dating sabbatical. Take a sabbatical, yeah. Re yeah, reevaluate what you're doing and what you're saying as well. You know? Amazing. Well, thanks for joining me today. It's been That's a lovely it. conversation to have.